Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me to speak. I'm going to start with one of my favorite prayers because I'm nervous beyond belief, and I'm usually not nervous. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. Where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That there where are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved, for it is by self-forgetting that one finds, and it is forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. I um, came from trauma, and my parents left their home country uh, during World War II, My father fought and almost died. My mother was a teenager when she left to go to a displaced persons camp in another country. I was uh, a shy, lonely child, afraid of her own shadow, in the middle of five children and not fitting in from the start. I worshipped my mother and I feared my father. I had a confusing childhood with so many hypocrisies from what my parents said and what they did. I also was rebellious and I would see these hypocrisies and try to fight them. I numbed out with reading, with fantasy, with food, and when I discovered it, masturbation. I prayed to God to change my family, to give me a normal name, to give me an extended family. I was raised in a faith tradition, and I went to that faith tradition schools, and yet my parents weren't loving and kind to all. Mental illness that I suffered, they claimed was a choice. I had made poor choices. There was always a sense of comparison in my household and a sense of secrecy. I found out from a family friend that my father had been married and divorced in his home country. And later, uh, when I was, I guess, perceived old enough, my mother shared with me that she was raped during World War II. So with that family background and that sense of secrecy and my rebellious nature, I wanted answers. And I likely sought them in not the best sources. And I was a vulnerable, shy child. I looked out at the world. I looked behind curtains to see people in my neighborhood 
I was just afraid. And if I was out and about, I was with my mother, I was behind her. Um, you know, and I remember all these rules about don't talk to strangers. And it, it was just so much confusion. And I was so eager to get to school um, to learn um, because my questions were never answered at home or not answered so that I would understand. And we didn't have any extended family, so I didn't have any nurturing grandparents or any other family members. And I just, I was so different. Um, so I was introduced to uh, self-pleasuring at a young age through, through phys ed class, climbing ropes. Uh, a number of the girls in my grade taught me how to masturbate. Um, I had neighbors who were, in essence, sexual predators, female sexual predators. And um, I got to the point of realizing that I could manipulate my father um, and not in a sexual way. There was no sexual inappropriateness in my household. Um, however, the prudishness that my mother um, raised us with was that I didn't have answers and I went to wrong sources. So I was introduced to print pornography uh, outside my home. And I remember feeling the arousal, but I knew that it was wrong. And then there were things like tree forts where stacks of pornography could be. And then one family of my faith tradition they had a very large family and almost every member had their form of, of pornography, whether it was in the form of erotica, whether it was in the form of graphic, this was pre-internet, um, graphic uh, sex scenes, orgies, or simply quote unquote girly magazines. So I came into this world with that and I was a sexaholic from an early age because as a little child, when I found out what the word F-U-C-K meant, I thought, how would I ever get a boy to do that to me? <laughs> little did I know it wouldn't take much. But I didn't lose my virginity until I was 21 because I had that sense of right and wrong, um, what didn't feel right. Um, but I got myself into some pretty dangerous positions because I didn't realize the difference between sex and love. I thought sex meant love. So I went into fantasy when I was, after I had lost my virginity, that this would be the man I would marry, et cetera, et cetera. And all I really was for him was a sex toy uh, that he could practice whatever on. Um, I, I had quite a few encounters, and I can't remember the number, and that's insignificant. Um, but I was I grew up in um, the 70s, and I graduated university in 1980. So there was this, you know, I was on the pill, free love, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Um, go with that. Um, and then I started concentrating on my career and I worked in very uh, male oriented businesses. I was um, a business major, um, 
my forte was in sales and marketing. And I, I spoke, you know, I remember one time speaking in a room full of electrical contractors. And I was talking about vehicle outfitting. And I was wearing a maternity dress. So I just, you know, I felt comfortable in, in my career. Um, I got married at the age of 27. And I'm still married to the same man. Um, and I think hormones played played a great deal in in my development um, later in life because I didn't go outside my marriage. Um, we had uh, we became friends before we ever uh, became sexually uh, uh, active, and I won't go into detail. Um, I'm the mother of three sons. And there was a lot of testosterone in my house. And it could be frustrating at times because I had a female energy, but I also had that male energy. So I would say that my life um, took a real tumble um, when I, uh, a, a particular book came out. And I became obsessed with this book and I couldn't have enough. And I wanted that lifestyle. And I call it the lust monster just rose up in me and just came out. This is someone who had um, not a sense of control because that is ridiculous to say I had a sense of control, but I was so out of touch with reality. I was so into fantasy I would be in my workplace and my work would get neglected because just this was where my head was at. And that's all I thought about. I thought about sex 24-7. I looked at men as sex objects and I just thought, what can they do for me and how good would they be in bed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I got myself on some fetish websites. Um, I had very inappropriate conversations with men. And it didn't matter to me if they were married, if they were single, if they were much younger than me, it didn't matter. I had no um, concept of what health was about caring for myself. I, I was attracted to this attention that I was getting, that it somehow would validate me. So fast forward um, to uh, my husband discovering my uh shall we say, double life. And I made all sorts of promises to him. And 10 months later, I was out doing riskier things. So the topic of my um, talk is that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And I know when we're in the program, we're taught to surrender, not to fight it. And so my, my first um, uh, attempt at not even attempt, but my my willingness to surrender was the fact that I finally admitted I had a problem and I entered the rooms of SA. And January 14th, 2016 is the date I entered the rooms of SA, and that is also my sobriety date, according to the SA definition. I'm still working on progressive victory over lust. So when I say what doesn't kill me makes me stronger because I could feel in many instances, my life force leaving my body. I had given up. 
I had given up. I, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't think straight. It was just that mental fog in my brain. And I mean, they talk about other addictions and how you have to detox and so forth. And for me, there was just everything was around me. It didn't matter. You put on the TV, there was something triggering. You listen to the radio, there was something triggering. You'd look at a book, there was something triggering. So I had to look within myself, within the SA program, following the steps. And when I walked into my first SA meeting, I brought a woman um, that was a sponsor in another 12-step program. And I just needed that because my preconceived notion was it was going to be a room full of dirty old men in trench coats. And it wasn't, but that was what my expectations were. And there was such a variety in terms of the um, the serenity in them. And they were clueless as how to deal with a woman. They were clueless. I was given... Um, oh, you want to find a sponsor, you have to write to Seiko and ask for the buddies list. And I, I did, and I didn't get a response because the buddies list was for men and for finding sponsors and contacts and so forth. So I eventually did find the sisters list and I, I was able to connect with other women in the program and I found my first sponsor. And of course, my particular group here um, in Canada, and I'm on the east coast of Canada, a very small place, um, they didn't have a room where they had literature and so forth. So all the books that were recommended, I bought from Seiko and, and had them delivered to me. And that's how things um, progressed with that. So I moved to Singapore um, about a year after I had gotten into SA. The reason for the move, it was attached to my, my husband's work. So I had contacted SA Singapore and I, you know, I had a recovery group that I could attend. Again, like my home group, there was one meeting I couldn't attend because it was all men. And after a number of votes, they agreed to open it up to women. So I had two meetings. And then we'll fast forward to the pandemic where my world opened up, my recovery world opened up. I was able to attend meetings um, where there were a lot more women. There were, there was one meeting I attend where it's all women. And so it was just a world opening up and hearing other women's shares and stories and being a support for those women. I sponsor women, a uh, number of women around the world. Um, and I speak and I do service work. And I, I, I can't say enough about the service work because it has really helped me with my purpose. One of my visions many years ago um, was to be a motivational speaker. And of course, this was tied to, you know, a monetary value. But it's, it's more, it's a spiritual value. If anything I can say can give someone hope, um, I'm 62 years old. I got into the program uh, in 2006. So, I mean, I, I'm just overjoyed when I see younger people coming into the program and becoming more self-aware, dealing with 
their addiction and being so mindful of things and, and people getting into recovery prior to going to the extent and the torturous route that I went um, because of one of my character defects of being incredibly stubborn um, and, and almost righteous in my, you know, my ability to say, well, it's that their, their fault. It's my church's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my circumstance. And one of my favorite passages from the big book that I'm going to read is about acceptance. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, or thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, my sexaholism, my lustaholism, I could not be or I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. I, I love that. And every time I hear that, it, it just warms my heart and it opens my heart up because I know, I know that I need to accept things. And it was so difficult for me to, um, and it didn't matter what therapist I saw, what psychiatrist I saw. I was in mental health care facilities. I just would not accept life on life's terms. And now I have a beautiful life. I have uh, my husband. Of, I've known him for 38 years. We've been married for 35 years. And he is one of my best friends. And, I mean, I put him through hell and high water. Um, and I know for the um, acceptance, it is on page 417 of the, uh, the AA Big Book. Um, I have three sons who are successfully launched in their careers and they live in different areas. Um, two of them have visited us here uh, while we're here in, in back in Canada. Um, I have met a myriad of amazing women. Some of them are in this meeting, too numerous to mention. Um, I have met some pretty amazing men too. And I know in many, in many um, groups that, that men outnumber the women. And I would, you know, predict that there are so many more women who have this addiction, but whatever social mores, um, whatever, they are not able to get into the rooms of SA. And my hope is that they will find, they will find the strength, the courage um, to find their way there. And that's why I, I love to mentor other women. I can't sponsor everybody, but I have no issues in women reaching out to me and hearing, you know, their story and me just being able to share what um, uh, my, um, my experience, strength and hope in this program is. I love this program. And 
I never thought that I would be able to say that I'm a proud sexaholic, uh, lestaholic. Um, and it's not like I'm going to go on the rooftop of my house and shout that out. But what I love is that I can be me. I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to have a double life. I don't have to fight anymore, but I am stronger. That which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Um, God has been with me through the whole time. God did not abandon me when I was acting out. I could have died. I got myself into some very scary situations with some scary people. I didn't get a sexually transmitted disease. I did not get uh, attacked and, and um, my throat wasn't cut, but people didn't know where I was. The people I love didn't know where I was. So I'm so grateful. And, and Lynn has given me the sign for five minutes. So I wanna honor all of you uh, for coming and to hear me, but I also wanna honor you for your program. And I don't care how desperate you are or where your situation is. You're worthy of love. You're worthy of recovery. You're worthy of the time. You know, you, it, there's no limit to that. And I'm saddened when people leave or they relapse and they think they're not worthy because they've relapsed. And I mean, some of the negative self-talk I've given myself over the years and it, it started in childhood. I mean, some of those words that my parents said, you know, come back to haunt me. And yes, I've forgiven my parents and I've accepted my parents. And most both my parents are deceased. So any message I have for anybody who still has parents that are living is to try and forgive those people, um, regardless of your situation, whether you were sexually abused or physically abused or neglected. Um, and if you can reconnect with family members, of course, safety. I understand about safety. There are some people who are not safe, but I have boundaries, which I didn't have before. Um, I have a relationship with my four siblings, and I don't have any extended family, but SA members are my extended family and the friends that I've been uh, very happy to have the close friends, the women, um, and some men, but mainly women that I've I've uh, traveled my life journey with. Um, not all from my childhood. Um, I kind of like to say that when I was a little girl, I had little tiny black patent leather shoes. That was very in in those days, but they were so tiny. And so I don't wear those shoes anymore. So I don't have the same beliefs I had when I was that little girl. So changing my attitude, changing my beliefs about myself, um, accepting the direction of a sponsor, accepting the direction of my higher power and listening to my higher power. I'm so honored and grateful. And with that, I'll close. Thank you very much for listening. My name's Kath Hamilton. So simple question. Um, I had a very similar childhood to you. Thank you, Lena, for a fantastic share. I did have the nurturing grandparents, but it wasn't always wonderful. And um, I, I had all the, I even had the black patent leather shoes. I had a very similar upbringing. 
And uh, one simple question, how did you forgive your parents? Why would I continue on hating the people that gave me life, that came from trauma, that did the best they could, that loved me, and maybe not in the way that I wanted them to love me, but they loved me the best that they could. Um, my, for example, my dad used to walk for quite a few miles. He was a structural engineer to get a bus to go to his workplace. My mom was an RN and she would walk evenings to the hospital and they would overlap so that one parent would be home. Um, they didn't have the resources that we have today, you know, where you could talk about PTSD or there would be support groups or there would be um, psychologists. That was a weakness to them, you know. Um, so uh, my parents were very important to me. And I, I actually have a tattoo on my leg that they would not appreciate, it, which is a tribute to them. Um, yes. Thank you. Uh, Rain, you're next. Thank you, Iona. So happy to um, be here and hear you speak. I never, ever would have known you were nervous at all. Your ability to share your positivity um, was something I really needed to hear today. Your freedom you found through acceptance is, uh, is miraculous. It just touched me in a opened me up in a, in a, on a new level. So I really appreciate that. I do have a question. Can you, sh can you explain more or in like practical terms, what accepting life on life's terms means for you or how that, how that showed up? Thank you. Thanks Rain. Lovely to see you. Um, acceptance for me is realizing I'm not God and realizing that whatever happens in my life, I have the skills and the ability to deal with. And if I don't, then I know that I need to ask for help and not be self-sufficient or think that I can do it on my own. So I attract things to me, um, mainly from my attitude. And when I forgive, it's amazing the resources that can come forth in my life. So I don't know if that helps answer your question. Or if it's too vague and wishy-washy, let me know. It's it's both, but it's it's a good start for me. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you. Rain. You can all you can always talk to me privately. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Sona, you're next. Thank you. Hi, Ilona. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for your great share. Um, my question is that uh, concerning my relapses, my relapses always overlap with my manic phase. I am a bipolar. Uh, you talked about some aspects of mental uh, suffering from some mental uh, disorders. Uh, have you occurred to you that when relapse only arousing mania, mania. Uh, you are just suffering from mental illness. Uh, it's my two days challenge and um, uh, struggle. Uh, do you have any idea 
how can I, I have all the symptoms, but just in man, manic phase. I understand about um, bipolar and I understand about manic depression, which it was termed before bipolar came out. And the last time I was hospitalized, I was in a very depressed state. And I happened to uh, come across an amazing psychiatrist. So I can't speak to your particular situation, um, but I was very fortunate in that I had someone who treated me like a human being, didn't pump me full of medication and turn me into an automaton, but listened to what I had to say and help me deal with the mania and the manic moods. So uh, this program doesn't exclude um, medical interventions. And as I said, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't know your particular situation. So thanks. Sean, you're up next. Thank you. Thank you, Alona, uh, Sean Sexaholic. Um, that was a wonderful uh, share and uh, um, lots of identification, um, particularly in the early days. Um, your uh, acting out behavior is probably very different to mine, but what I identified with very strongly were the feelings uh, which you experienced, certainly in childhood, and it brought up a lot for me. Um, what I'd like to know is um, working the 12 steps, has that helped you overcome the trauma you experienced in your childhood? It has, it has, and, and it also, um, not just the 12 steps, but my spiritual beliefs. Um, and this might sound wonky to some people, but I believe I chose my parents and I chose my situation uh, to learn the lessons that I needed to learn in this lifetime. And the 12 steps has been in my life for 22 years. SA has only been in my life since 2016. So um, the people that uh, created Alcoholics Anonymous and the literature that our program is based upon were inspired by God. And so God is at the core of everything for me. And so who am I to not forgive when? God has forgiven me. So the 12 steps enabled me to see my part in situations, to understand where my defects and where I brought about some of the actions because I was a rebellious child. That was, you know, I was born in 1959. That was not something you did. And Eastern European parents, no. And parents who had been through war, no. You know, um, my parents were in a in, in many ways, they were in a survival mode. Um, so they did literally the best that they could. So, yes, I would say the 12 steps definitely helped me to forgive and and makes it easier for me to give up my resentments today. Thank you. 
Yakov, go ahead. But I think we will not have time to. I see that our four hands raised, and it's already 23. So I'm sorry. Uh, we probably will not have time to do all the questions. Dean? Yeah? Sharing is till 1938, something like that. Oh, okay. No problem. It's still 45. Perfect. Go ahead, <laughs> Jakob. Hey. So, yeah, my name is Jakob and I'm a sexaholic. Thank you so much for your share. It was very moving. And I and identified uh, so much. And it's amazing when I see uh, female members that share my story. And it's, uh, it's always powerful for me to understand that. And I wanted to ask, um, you said that you had a time when all around you, all you saw in, uh, in the men around you were uh, sex partners or, or whatever. And I feel the same thing around the people around me. That's very hard for me to see people in them. And uh, I would like to know what worked for you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Yakov. Um, when I heard the solution when I first walked into SA that sex was indeed optional, um, that was kind of a currency that I had uh, that I put value on myself. And so I projected that onto other people and men. And so for me, it was coming to terms with um, recognizing that everyone that I was looking at and lusting after was a human being and did not have, um, or I didn't have the right to look upon them as objects, um, that I, I needed to find a new way to relate to men and not by flirting, and not by manipulating, and not by, uh, you know, fantasy living in my head, um, that they were real people, that they had families, that they had, you know, work, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, um, being in a room full of recovering men was how I learned how to have appropriate relationships with men. And yes, I mean, I will still still see an attractive man and there will be, you know, that momentary thing, but I am, I'm a sexaholic. I'm a lustaholic. So I'm going to notice beauty or an attraction in another human being. But I, I kind of prefer now to look at people in the eyes, to look into their soul and to see who they are and not whatever shape, whatever form the vessel comes in. I hope that helps. It does. Thank you. Um, then it's Rachana, but first we'll do a question that is in the chat. Um, Sona wants to know how she can be in touch with you, uh, Ilona. Mona has my contact information. No, Sona. I, she, I know, but I think Sona knows Mona. So okay. Mona, can, yeah. Mona can pass information. Great. Thank you. Um, then Rachana, you're next. Thank you, Lynn. 
hi everyone i'm rachna lastoholic sexoholic from india lovely amazing share i know you more now elona thank you for your lovely share um my question is uh, i am in sa uh, and sober since may of this year only i'm i'm just moving forward one day at a time uh, my question is that uh, in the initial days uh, uh, since in sa now i know that i am a disease person and there is a lot of void i don't have to plan for things i don't have to go out i don't have to meet i'm just keeping away myself from all the triggers and just following sa uh, at the best of my levels with my sponsor doing uh, step working and all those things but you know being a female and uh, in india as a homemaker i have lot of things uh, to do on my part and uh, since few days i am not Time. able to meet all of them yeah i'm not able to meet all of them all the expectations and i'm getting irritated sometimes uh, sometimes with my husband or sometimes with my elder son uh, but i i try to manage keeping myself calm and just be in my own lane so can you give me your ideas or tips where i can just you know keep moving nicely happily and quietly and not disturbing them just because i have the disease so i i want tips from you if you can help me with that thank you thank you very much for your question rachna i'm i'm not a model mother i'm not a model wife i'm a human being and i'm not a human doing i'm a human being so i i look to very basic things like breathing taking in a deep breath letting it out um i don't let my sexaholism be an excuse to be a doormat um i have things i need to do but i'm not super woman i am not um you know i have things and this is what i have today maybe today i can do more so i learn to listen to my body i learn to honor it and i know i have certain skills and and duties and sometimes i can't be that person and other days i have more so this is what i have so i don't know if that helps answer your question um that we put i think as women we put a lot of pressures on ourselves to please other people um maybe focus on pleasing god and and doing what we can and not overwhelming ourselves with to-do lists thank you thank you so much for reminding that i am a human and i can breathe <laughs> thank you so much for that <laughs> Daniel, you're up next. Hello, yeah, I'm Daniel J, sexaholic. Alona, thank you very, very much for an awesome, awesome share. I identified with so much in there, and I especially appreciated your answer to Yakov's question about sexualizing and objectifying people around you. Um, you know, that's uh, that really hit home with me, and I also appreciated your. your discussion of trauma and PTSD and I I'm glad more and more of that has come out and yes my parents and grandparents didn't have the tools to deal with any of that I'm glad we're living in a period an era when we can 
um, and we have those tools. Um, anyway, my, my question is, um, is your husband in a program or do you work anything as a couple, whether it be 12 step or, or therapy or anything, anything like that? Thank you, Daniel, for the question. My husband is not in a recovery program. He um, attempted to do SNN online um, to the email group. He, 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 um, he, where we live, first of all, uh, there was a very small group. Uh, uh, I think, you know, a number of women. Um, he didn't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, we initially went to um, a therapist who dealt with addiction. And this therapist decided to split us up and to, for each of us to go. And then I, when I moved to, or we moved to Singapore, um, after a period of time um, there, I did find a therapist who, whose specialty was sex addiction. So my husband came for a few of those sessions, but it is my husband's choice not to be in a recovery program. And so I, I work my side of the street in my program, uh, but we have, we have always been good friends. And that was part of the issue when I went outside my marriage is that was something I couldn't share with him. Um, so he's not working a program. I'm working a program and we're still married. That's wonderful, Ilona. Thank you very much. Uh, Greg? Hi, my name's Greg, and I am a sexaholic, and thank you so much, Ilona. And uh, I identified a lot with your share. Um, you know, you said your favorite prayer was the 11-step prayer, and your favorite reading was acceptance, and I certainly identify with both of those. Um, However, when they ask me to read the prayer, my favorite prayer at the end of the meeting, I don't read the 11 step prayer because it's too long and everybody's in a hurry to get off. So, but anyway, uh, now in the, uh, the reading, the acceptance reading, it says nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And boy, that's a tough one for me to swallow because uh, there's so much stuff that happens in the world that that's not good. And so anyway, I'm working on that one. But uh, that to me is just the whole reading is just an amazing reading for me. And uh, I had so much stuff that could have gone south for me that didn't go south. And uh, an another thing that, uh, you know, my dark, past, God's hands, my dark past is my greatest possession. And it says that in the big book also. And for me, that's so true today. It didn't, I, I, you couldn't have told me that in the past, but now today you could tell me that. And so anyway, thanks for, uh, for that point today, for your, for your share. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. Um, there's still time for a question. Uh, also, people with less than 30 days can ask a question. I didn't say that yet. I don't hear any questions. This in the in the chat. There's a question about 
how to find the recording of this meeting. I don't know. Oh, Juan Carlos has a question. Yes, uh, thank you, Lynn. Uh, Juan Carlos is a holic. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ilona. Uh, I honor to be in this meeting with all of you, um, listening those those share that relate a lot with mine, uh, especially about marriage. Uh, as I wrote, uh, I I I am fortunate to to be uh, still married uh, as well as you. Um, our spouses are with us, but I don't know uh, about uh, in your case uh, how is uh, confidence, how is uh, well, uh, kind of not intimacy, but not sexual intimacy, but uh, emotional intimacy. How is going in your marriage? Because for me, it sometimes is hard, but uh, I think God is the only one who can restore this uh, uh, unity. So, what is your opinion about that? Thank you. Thanks, Juan Carlos. Um, when my husband and I met, uh, we did not have physical um, sex, a sexual relationship for about a year. And I won't go into details with that. Uh, so we got to know each other really well. And so, you know, through the years, I mean, there's been, I mean, marriage is one of those give and take things. Some days are great. Some days are not so great. And so when I got married, I knew I didn't want to live with him. I knew I wanted to get married. Don't ask me. It was very trendy back in the day to live with someone and, you know, who cares about a piece of paper. So today um, there was a period of time where he threw my acting out in my face constantly. So it kind of gave him license to do whatever he wanted or so he thought. Um, and so I had to set some boundaries around that. I had to say, you know, how long do I have to pay for this? I can't change the past. I'm in recovery. I'm doing this. And so we talk about things. And he is, he is a, you know, he is a quote unquote boss at work. And sometimes he brings that home and he's, you know, kind of trying to boss me around and that's one thing I'm, it's very hard to boss me around. Um, so I will, I will kind of stand up to that. And, and I mean, we don't argue. We really don't argue. We, we have conversations and we, if we argue, it can turn ugly. And I mean, the last argument that we had, I made some comments about his drinking. I made a comment and he was, oh, it was horrific to me. And it, and it just shattered me. And I went into, I, I, I removed myself from it. I contacted my sponsor. I contacted women in the program. I contacted my therapist. And, um, you know, after a sense of calm, I had to set a boundary that, you know what, my recovery is very important to me. And if you can't see that I'm making the effort and I'm doing this and you keep throwing that back in my face, then maybe we need to to separate and and end this marriage. And I didn't, and he didn't. Um, so we we kind of have some game rules and some plans and 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 we're very easygoing with with one another. We in, actually enjoy each other's company, you know, and and so 
we're not fighting each other. I mean, he has priorities with his work. I have at this point in time, I have priorities with my program, with with going to meetings, with with having sponsees, with doing my program work. Um, so that's kind of my career right now because I'm in Singapore and I left my my job to travel with him. So I hope that answers your question and I hope it wasn't too all over the place. Yes, yes, completely. Thank you, Ilona. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.